So glad you're here again, guests. If you're uh, with us for the first time, second time, third time, whatever, you feel new around here, a special welcome to you as well. My name is Ross, and uh, glad you're here for for Family Sunday. I want to mention some other family, while it's Family Sunday, I want to mention some other family items. We have some folks in here getting ready to go to college. We got some, hey bud. We got some folks that just married off people. The Anglins had a wedding yesterday. Congratulations to you guys, the Hessens. Also are not with us this morning, but the Hessens married their son off uh, yesterday. You like the way I say that? It, like married him off, like, you know, you got rid of him or something, you know, gave him away. Uh, so a lot of weddings uh, around here. And as I mentioned too, we got kids getting ready to go back to college. Ashley back there and also, yes, Tyler as well. Going up to UNT, Ashley to uh, UT. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. So uh, this is probably some of their last, this is Tyler's last time uh, with us here as a, as a high schooler. So uh, be sure and give him a hug afterwards. Mario, his buddy left uh, for Indiana this last week. So uh, it's family time. Some of you are getting ready to go back to school with the little ones. Uh, so we'll be praying for you over the next week um, as well. Um, what else do I need to mention here? Uh, also, just want to say thanks, appreciate uh, Pastor Bruce filling in for me the last two weeks, and uh, he loved being with you guys, said you were quite responsive, and uh, just loved the, the uh, love and, and camaraderie that you showed him, so thanks, uh, thanks for uh, welcoming, welcoming him uh, as you always do. So, um, Pastor Bruce was filling in with me, because what do you think I've been doing for the last week? Some of you, some of you know talking. Thank you. They said the preacher's been talking for the last week. Changing diapers. Yes, we welcomed uh, Truett Quincy into our family last Friday, the, the 5th of August. And he and, he and mama are home this morning. Uh, something about, you know, not being ready to get out in the public yet and uh, feeding and all that stuff. But yeah, kids, what are some other things that, uh, that, that a baby needs right after he's born or as a baby is little? What are some things that a baby needs? Brennan. A diaper. How many diapers do you think? 300. Million. One on and then one for later. A hundred? Do you think a hundred a day? A hundred billion. Okay. It, uh, it does take a lot of diapers. What else, uh, kids, if you want to interact with me here, what else do, ba- do babies need, Eva, besides diapers? Sleep. They need a lot of sleep. And you know who else needs sleep? Mommy and daddy. They need sleep as well. That's good. Sleep. What else do babies need? What? Coffee? No, I think you're thinking about mom and dad again. What, what, what do babies eat? What do babies drink? Milk, yeah, babies are, are constantly sleeping and they're constantly eating, getting milk from mommy. Anything else that uh, babies or kids need, guys? Love and touch, Miss Rebecca says, absolutely right, you know? Um, it's been said, maybe you've heard that, maybe you've heard this, that a baby changes everything. Faith Hill said that in a song uh, a few years back. A baby changes everything. Babies, babies need milk. They need love. They need lots of sleep. They need lots of diapers. But you know what babies need most of all? They need a family. 
Babies need a family, and it, actually the way God designed it is God designed for, for those babies to get those things they need through a family. That's the way God designed life. Every baby comes through his or her mommy. Babies were made to be born into families. And just as a baby changes everything, a family changes everything. We have another uh, new little one with us this morning. He was here last week, but Brigham, hold Brigham up. Brigham, can you sit up in your seat? Brigham is new to the Southern family. They are fostering to adopt. Give it up. Yeah, real loud for Brigham. Brigham came uh, to join the Southern family, uh, as I said, last week. And a little Brigham, guys, little Brigham, he needs a family. He needed a family. He needed love. He needed support. He needed safety. He actually came from a hard place, a difficult place. And what every baby needs beyond food and clothes and diapers is that they need a family. They need a place to belong. They need a place to be loved. They need a place that will provide for them the needs that they need from safety to nutrition to love and encouragement and to help them not stay a baby, but to grow up and be a, a, an adult, a big person. And that's actually what we're going to talk about for the next uh, four weeks. We're going to spend some time talking about what it means to be a community and you might say, in other words, what it means to be a church family. We're going to talk about genuine community. Our, our mission statement as a church is this. Our mission statement at Centennial Church is to center lives on Jesus Christ. And we do that primarily through four ways. We, we center lives on Jesus Christ through genuine community, authentic worship, biblical teaching, and holistic mission. And what we thought it might be good as, as we begin the school year, as we launch into the fall, is just to take four weeks to really concentrate on what does it look like? What does it mean to be a genuine community? What does it mean to be a family that supports people and helps people grow up in their faith and gives them the things they need? What does it look like to be a genuine community? Family, I don't know if you know this or not, but family is, is the major metaphor that the New Testament gives us for our life in Christ. Not only are we born into God's family as his sons and daughters, but we're also born into a church family. We're given the body of Christ, and the, the main metaphor for our relationship with Christ in the New Testament is not that we're servants of God or even that we're worshipers of God, but the main metaphor that the Bible uses for our relationship with one another is, get this, brothers and sisters. Did you know that? All throughout the New Testament, we're referred to as brothers and sisters. And the apostles, as they write, they're referring to other believers as brothers and sisters. The primary metaphor for community, the primary metaphor for a church is family. Brothers and sisters. So that's what we want to look at for the next four weeks. And our series kind of unwraps like this. Today we're going to talk about sharing life. Sharing life, we'll get into our passage in John 13 in just a second. Next week, we're going to talk about sharing differences. How do, we, how do we live together in community as different people, with different backgrounds, with different personalities, with different likes? We're going to look at that next week. On August 28th, we're going to talk about sharing a meal. Did you know that food fuels community? 
That eating together, amen, that eating together around the dinner table fuels a family, fuels community. That's what we're going to talk about on August 28th and on September 4th. We're going to talk about how we share our faith as a community, that we're actually meant to do that together. So that's where we're headed, and uh, this morning we want to look at what it, what it looks like to share life together. And so I'm going to invite you to turn with me, either on your app or uh, in an old-fashioned Bible, to John chapter 13, okay? John chapter 13, where we're going to look at probably some familiar verses to some of you, maybe not to all of you. And I'm going to read uh, John 13, verses 31 through 35, Okay? If you have our CC app and you go there, it's got the Bible right in the app for you. And you've also go to sermons, you can find the sermon outline there uh, for the sermon notes on the app if you'd like that. John chapter 13, beginning at verse 31, okay? You ready? You with me? Here we go. When he had gone out, Jesus said, "Now now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's our passage uh, this morning that's going to use to talk about genuine uh, community. And what is, what is Jesus' words saying there? He's basically preparing his 12 closest friends for his departure, for him going to the cross and then ascending to the Father. And he says, I'm not going to be with you any longer. And in fact, after these verses, one of his disciples is going to say, wait, no, where, where are you going? We want to come with you. And Jesus is going to say, no, you can't come with me because I'm going back to heaven. But the thing that Jesus wants his disciples, wants his followers to do as he leaves is for them to stay. And what does he want them to do as they stay? His primary command here is that they love one another. He says, I know you want to come with me, but it's better and it's better for the mission if you stay here But this is your high command. This is your high calling as my followers. Not to remove yourselves from the world, but to stay in the world and be an alternative community. Be a genuine community. Be a genuine family who love one another well. Love one another just as I, Jesus, have loved you. You can't come with me, but I want you to stay here and I want you to show the world what love looks like. So this morning... As quickly as we can, I want us to look at four points. I usually do three points, and I thought since we have the kids in here, uh, and there's so much better uh, attention span, I'm going to try four points. Okay, so we'll see how this works. First uh, point, here's, here's what we're going to look at. The need for genuine community, the challenges of genuine community, the practice of genuine community, and the power of genuine community, okay? We can do this, all right? You with me, kids? Hang in there. Some of you parents are already coloring, all right? Come on, stay with me. Okay, first of all, uh, and here's, here's the basic idea, okay? If you don't get anything else out of this message, hear this this morning. This is the bottom line, okay? You need others, and others need you. That's it. If you just want to write that down, that's the bottom line. You need others, and others need you. We all need a community, okay? So first of all, let's look at the need for genuine community, 
the need for genuine community. This, the, the command to love one another comes from Jesus here as a commandment. But I want, what I want you to understand this morning is that to love one another is not just a commandment of Jesus, not just a, a commandment of the Bible. It's actually foundational to the Bible. The idea of love and the idea of community. It's not just a commandment of Jesus. It's foundational and presuppositional to all that the Bible is about and all that being a human is about. What are you talking about, Ross? Well, here's, here's what I'm talking about. In the very beginning, when God created the world, everything was perfect. God created a perfect world, a garden, and he gave uh, Adam all dominion over that world, and he had plenty of food to eat, and he had, he had authority over all the animals, and he was in a perfect relationship with God. And he was at a, in a perfect relationship with the world. But even after God created all these things that God said is good, this is good, the heavens and the earth are good, the, the animals are good, the vegetation is good. After God creates all that good stuff, in Genesis 2, verse 18, God makes this one declaration and he says, it is not good. And what did he say is not good? He said, it is not good that man should be alone. Adam was in this perfect environment. He was in this perfect place. There was no sin in the world. There was nothing wrong with the ecosystem. There was nothing wrong with his job. There was nothing between him and God. But as God looks down on Adam, he says, it is not good that man should be alone. Even in a perfect world with a perfect relationship with God, Adam was not designed to be alone. So what did God do? God created a companion for him. He gave to Adam his wife Eve. And that's, just, that's not just a verse for marriage, though it is, but it tells us that it, deep within us, even in a perfect environment as humans, we are made for relationships. We were made to be known and to know others and to have a deep sense of connection with other people. It is not good for man or woman to be alone. We need community. We can't live, in fact, without community. And as most of you will know, if, if, as we had a child last week, we didn't just have that child and then just leave that child at the hospital, did we? We brought that child along with us because if that child, if our little truant is not taken care of, if he is not ever physically touched, he actually won't thrive. He actually won't live if he's not touched if he's not given love, if he's not given nutrition, if he's not given the protection that he needs. We were made for community. That need for community comes because we're unique as God's creation. Genesis also says in in chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. We were created in the image of God, and, and God, as he created us, there in 1.26, it says, God said, let us make man in our image. And that us there is, is plural, is that God as one God and three persons is community in himself. And if we're made in the image of God, then we are made for community. No other thing in creation is made for community like humans. But since we are image bearers of God, we also have this unique need to be connected to others, just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are uniquely loving and connected to one another. So the command for community and the command for love is is not just a commandment. It's actually foundational to who we are as humans, to be deeply connected 
to other people. It's a universal need for all of us, but it's also a unique need for us because guess what? We don't all connect in the same way. We all need connections, but we're different in the way we connect. Some of us are introverted. Some of us are extroverted. Some of us have different personalities than others. So our connection takes different flavors. It's unique, but it's universal for all of us. We all need that connection, okay? And the uniqueness in our humanity is one of the things that makes the connection and makes the community difficult, okay? That's point two, the challenges of genuine community, Community is, is nice, but it's not easy. There's the reason that Jesus commands us to love one another is because, guess what? It's hard to love one another. Uh, even though it's something that we need, even though it's something that we have to have as humans to connect with other people, to love one another is actually a pretty hard thing to do. You know why? Because most of us are selfish, and most of us uh, uh, have weird quirks about us and, and different weaknesses and blind spots that we don't see. So Jesus has to command us to love one another because of the nature of the fact that we're selfish and we're actually pretty hard to love sometimes. One author has, uh, has said it like this. This should be on the screen, but Don Carson writes this. The reason there are so many exhortations in the New Testament for Christians to love other Christians is because the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of the sort. In this light, we are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Christian love will stand out and bear witness to Jesus because it is a display for Jesus' sake of mutual love among social incompatibles. Do you get that? Love isn't always easy. We, we, we desperately want community, but community is really often very hard. Because what has brought us together is not things like our skin color or where we live, what neighborhood or what school we go to. What has brought us together is our common love of Jesus. And that makes, because we have these differences, that makes community hard sometimes. That makes it difficult for us to love sometimes people that are different than we are. Any of you ever uh, thought about uh, what it's like in terms of family when you go to a family reunion. You know, some of us are so excited. Well, we, we're all about community and the idea of church is family. Oh, that's awesome. I love family. And, and maybe you do have that. Maybe your, your family of origin was great and everybody got along and it was perfect. And, uh, but that's not the case for all of us. Some of us, when we think about family, we're like, my family is just kind of awkward. Maybe even if you love your immediate family, think about this. When you go to a family reunion, is it not sometimes difficult? <laughs> is it not sometimes hard? Uh, the Bible uses this metaphor of family because it has this intimacy, but it also has this reality of being difficult. Because all of us, I would say, all of us, most of us, have some kind of crazy cousin Eddie or some, you know, weird aunt or uh, in-laws that are difficult or something like that. So when, if we're really a family as a church, just like our extended families in life, when you get together for that family reunion, sometimes it's like, man, I, I, I love some of our family, but so-and-so is driving me crazy. Cousin Eddie is just crazy. Get me out of here. 
So family has this, this neat idea of love and intimacy, but we all know if you've been with family much, or particularly extended family or hard-to-love family, that it doesn't always go easy, does it? It can be difficult. And the metaphor that the Bible gives us of living in Christian community is not predominantly the, the metaphor of friendship, but of brothers and sisters. And that's important, you know why? Because most of us, we can pick our friends, right? Because our friends could have similar interests as us, be, uh, be into the same stuff that we're into, have similar personalities. But get this, the idea of community in the Bible is not as much about friendship as it is about brothers and sisters. And, what's ha- and what happens with brothers and sisters? They fight. And we irritate each other. And we don't get along, and sometimes we have to be separated. But folks, that's realistic about community. That's realistic about family. That's realistic about church. Is that, guess what? We're not all going to be the best of friends. That's not the metaphor the Bible gives us. But it does give us this metaphor of brothers and sisters. And guess what? Sometimes brothers and sisters have it out. And it gets hard. And you've got that crazy cousin or that weird aunt or uncle or those in-laws that you can't stand. But guess what? It's family. And you don't get to pick family. You might be able to pick friends. But family, you learn to live with. You learn to love. You learn to fight well with brothers and sisters. And that makes it difficult because we're all, as I said earlier, we're all ultimately selfish. We're all ultimately different. And another thing that makes it hard in our culture is that we're all very busy. And so community and and relationships are harder, I think, even in our community, in our time, because we're so doggone busy. We're selfish we're different, and we're busy as brothers and sisters. So community, we're made for. Community is not optional, but it also is not easy. It's not optional, and it's not easy. It will have challenges. We're going to talk more about some of those challenges next week as we're different. Brothers and sisters, different interests, different temperaments, different levels of extroversion. And yet Jesus commands them, love one another. Love one another. Let's look at the practice of genuine community quickly here, okay? The practice of genuine community. In verse uh, 34 of our text, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Right there, if you want to underline that part, just as I have loved you, that's the standard okay, for the type of love that we're supposed to have. The quality of the love we're supposed to have is compared to the love of Jesus. He says, love one another just as I have loved you. That's the standard of what our practice of community should be. The love of God, the love of Jesus for us is the standard for our love for one another. That means that our idea of love, our definition of love, and our our actions of love are not going to be the actions of the way the world defines love. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And he doesn't say love one another as the world loves people. How does the world define love? Well, it's different than the way the Bible defines love and the way Jesus defines it. One of the most popular ways to define love in our culture today is, is love just means unconditional acceptance. 
I mean, if you love someone, you just have to accept them regardless of what they believe, regardless of how they behave. Love it has no boundaries on it. Love has no rules. If you really love me, you will let me do what I want. You will not tell me I'm wrong. That's a kind of a worldly definition of love. No boundaries, just love me no matter what. That is not the Bible's understanding of love. The Bible's definition of love and standard of love we see here from Jesus himself. And it's a, it's a love that's sacrificial on the cross as Jesus shows his love. He is, he is not only accepting us, but he is telling us, thank you, Roy. Uh, he, is, he is not only accepting us, he is telling us on the cross that we're sinners. He's telling us that we have wronged him. He's truthful and yet gracious. And a lot of times the world's definition of love is just kind of a soft sentimentality. Hey, you have to accept me regardless of what I do. Otherwise, you're not being loving to me. The standard of our love, the definition of our love comes from Christ himself. And that love is not just sentimentality. That love is multifaceted. As we look uh, at the the way God defines love in the New Testament, not only does God give us uh, the command to love one another, but he actually gives us 50-some-odd commands in the New Testament. To, they're called one another commands. We have a slide of this, all the different ways he tells us to love one another, serve one another, have compassion for one another, greet one another. More than 50 times in the New Testament, we have these one another commands. And while love is predominant among uh, those commands, love encompasses these other commands that are encourage one another or speak the truth to one another. So you can't define love just as soft sentimentality. You also have to define the way the rest of the New Testament looks at love, which sometimes it's encouragement. Sometimes it's rebuke. Sometimes it's hold one another accountable. Tim Keller says that... uh, All of us just love the idea of community until someone holds us accountable in our community. And then we bristle at the idea of community. But community and love has not only that soft side, but that instructive side of a parent who says, no, you can't go out and play in the street. My love will not allow you to do that. So our love is different than the world's love. Our love is multifaceted. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 He says, love is patient, love is kind. He goes on to say, love does not delight in evil. If you are delighting in evil, or if you're letting someone else delight in evil, you're ultimately not loving them. Love is multifaceted. Not only is love multifaceted, love is also multi-layered. What do I mean by this? What I mean by this is is, uh, even in our own extended families, we don't love everyone in the same way. I just said that. We don't love everyone equally. What I mean by this is is the Bible shows us, and even Jesus' own relationship shows us, that love is multi-leveled. And what I mean by this is that Jesus loved everyone, didn't he? He loved the crowds. The Bible says he had compassion on the crowds. But beyond the crowds, Jesus also had this group of followers. And in Luke chapter 10, it says there were 70 of them. So Jesus had multiple levels of friendship or multiple levels of love. He had the crowds, and then he had the 70 that he loved. But among the 70, he had 12 disciples that were closer to him relationally. 
And even within the 12, we find in the New Testament that he had an inner circle of Peter, James, and John. He had the three, his closest. He had the 12, and he had the 70, and he had the crowds. And guess what? In a room this size, it's impossible for us to love everyone in our church community in the same exact way. You have to have a crowd, but you also have to have a small group. You have to have a 12. But you also might find two or three people that you really do life with and you share at a greater depth than you do the 12 or you do with the crowd. Does that make sense? Love is multifaceted and love is also multi-layered. And you can't expect that we're all going to have the same depth of intimacy that we do with a few people. So take heart, introverts. I'm not saying that you have to have 50 close friends, but I am saying that at some level, all of us have to deeply connect with a few. The three, the 12, the 70, the crowd. Even Jesus had an inner circle, okay? Sometimes I think people get disappointed when they join a community group because they think, they assume that, hey, if I join this church community group, these people are gonna be my best friends for life. Well, let me just caution you. They may turn out to be best friends for life, but they may not. It's not automatic that just because you get 12 Christians in a room that we're all of a sudden gonna be best friends. Sometimes, Sometimes there's a unique chemistry that has to happen for that person to be your lifelong friend. But that's okay, because remember what I said? Ultimately, we're brothers and sisters in Christ here. And so you can be a part of a community group that's, that may not turn out to be your best friends, but they can be your brothers and sisters. You, you can learn to share with them. You can learn to fight with them. But they may not be that best friend, your, your, your most intimate confidant. Does that make sense? Love is multi-layered. And just because you get in a community group and, and man, you're not hitting on all cylinders, that doesn't mean you need to back out of the community group. That just means that you need to set proper expectations that, hey, we're, gonna, we're brothers and sisters, but you may not be best friends with your brothers and sisters, right? So love is multifaceted. Love is multi-layered. Uh, and finally, let's look at some applications, Okay. What does it look like? What do we need to do as we seek to pursue genuine community, okay? Before we get to the last point, let me just say this. A few applications. Number one, assess and pray. How are your relationships? Do you just have a crowd of people that are kind of following Jesus, or do you you have a, a circle of 12? Do you need to jump in a community group this semester and get to know some brothers and sisters? Do you have an inner circle? Even if you have a 12, do you have a three? Are you going deeper with a few to share your life with, to walk through the struggles with? Assess and pray. Maybe just the way you want to start is saying, God, help me to walk deeper with a few other brothers and sisters. Bring someone along that I can connect with at a deeper level to share this life with, okay? So assess and pray. And that leads us, point number two is, you're gonna have to be intentional. Most friendships don't just uh, form accidentally, without time, without some effort. You're gonna have to be intentional. You might have to invite someone over to the house for a meal. You might have to uh, take someone to coffee and, and in a sense, 
kind of date around for a really true friend, someone that you can, that you can go deep with. It might take some time, but it's also going to take some intentionality. So assess and pray, be intentional, and thirdly, consider a community group. This whole month, we're going to be inviting you to try to join a community group that we have here. We have about nine of them currently. We're working to get a few more started. Uh, And so I, I challenge you this morning to consider joining a community group, thinking about going deeper with a few brothers and sisters. You need it right? And they need you. So in conclusion, go back to point four, the power for genuine community or the power of genuine community. If you look at verse uh, 35, in verse 35, we see the power of genuine community. What happens as we love one another as we should? Look at verse 35. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How are are people going to know that we are disciples of Christ? By the way we do community, by the way we love one another, by the way we serve one another, by the way we deal with conflict, by the way we help one another. The world will know know we are believers. The world will know we are disciples, not because they drive by Coy Road and say, oh, that looks like a neat building. I bet that's a neat church. The world will know that we're believers by the way we do life together, by the way that we love one another. Francis Schaeffer is an author of a generation ago and was a defender of the Christian faith, wrote a lot of books about the veracity and the truthfulness of Jesus. But Francis Schaeffer said this, the final apologetic for Christianity is the way Christians love one another. That seals the deal or that sends people further away. They're like, man, they don't love one another. They don't know how to do life. It can draw people to Christ, or it can push people away. It's the final apologetic. Where do you find the power? Where do we find the power to love one another as Jesus has loved us? I think it goes back to that passage that Andrew had us read earlier. In 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 1, the author there, John, who actually incidentally calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loves. I mean, that guy, John, he is either proud or he is really secure in the love of Jesus, isn't he? The disciple whom Jesus loves. Look at what he writes in 1 John 3, Chapter 1, he says this. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God. In the old King James Version, it says this. It says, behold, what manner of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. And that becomes uh, more real to me this week as I welcome another son into the world. As you look at a child as a father and you know your love for your son or daughter. And what is the Apostle John telling us here? He's saying of all the amazing kinds of love that God could have for us, the love that he has for us is like a father staring at his son or daughter. 
That's the kind of love that God has for us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called sons and daughters of God and that is what we are. The love that we've received from God is the love of the perfect, good Father. And when you have that kind of love, when you know that kind of love that I rest in the love of a good father, just as I look at my child and they rest in my love, as you have the love of the father for you, it empowers us. It gives us the energy and power to go out and love one another well. So in verse John chapter 3 Verse 23, he'll go on and say this. This is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. We receive the love of the Father, and in that love, in that power, we, can, we have new spirit-given power to love one another well because of the love that you and I have received. Behold what manner of love the Father has given us, that we should be called sons and daughters of God, and that is what we are. Therefore, brothers and sisters, let us love one another. Pray with me. Father God, we, we thank you so much this morning that your love for us was not written in the sky. It was not just put in an email to us, but your love for us was demonstrated tangibly, visibly, bloodily for us 2,000 years ago as you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And Father, I pray that as we behold your love, you would give us fresh power, powerful power, to love one another as you have loved us. Lord, I pray that as people see Centennial Church, they would see disciples who love one another well. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.